the biggest stars. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. The biggest names in music. Oh, wow. Big names. Big songs. Big guests. Big prizes. Hell, it's a big Good morning, Singapore, and welcome to the Big Show and the Big Show TV. It's Glenn, Angel, FD, Sean, and this morning we have the best infectious disease doctor <laughs> and specialist in the world, Dr. Ashok Kerr. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks for lying, Glenn. <laughs> I had to do it, right? I, I, I just had to do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for the 1FM fans tuned in right now, I know you guys have, um, you know, questions. We'll try and read your questions out later, okay? But if uh, you would like to submit your questions, you can actually WhatsApp us, 88550913, if you've got any questions for uh, Dr. Karup this morning. Anyway, welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Ash. Karup, thank you so much for joining us. We know you are a very busy man, but uh, thank you so much for making time for us. Yeah, you're welcome, Glenn. Okay, let's uh, start things off right now, go straight into it. There seems to be no end in sight as far as the COVID situation is concerned. Now, where do you see this going? Yeah, it's kind of frustrating, but I think that you're gonna, we're going to see our numbers go up a little bit more in terms of just the actual numbers that are crunching out. Maybe we will see several thousand, be it four or five thousand or so, maybe a bit higher. But it's been playing out like this in different uh, parts of the world already. So I guess it's going to come up to a certain high and then it will start to come down in the next uh, few, perhaps weeks to months. I, I guess it's more likely to be months than weeks. But I think it's going to play out in that way. We're probably going to see more, uh, you know, high intense care resource utilization in the hospital setting by way of intensive care, by way of people requiring high flow uh, or oxygen supplementation. So we're going to have to see and we're going to have to try and calibrate whether or not this is kind of consistent with the measures that we are doing. You know, and is this what we can do? Because, I mean, you know, I'm taking it a step further. I don't know this is on your mind as well, Glenn. But the fact is that people tend to compare our country with others. And, mm. you know, we say what what this country is doing that. But, I mean, every country, it's different. It's unique. We are very highly, um, uh, you know, dense. We are very highly populated. So it's very difficult. We need to kind of know our own weak links and whether we are going to have a problem, uh, we have wet markets, we have got malls, we have got hawker centers, a lot of these potential weak links, nursing homes. So as long as we are not going to see a lot of people consuming high intense healthcare resources, I think we are still all right. The eye on the ball is those are the numbers we should be looking out for rather than just the overall thousands and thousands. Mm. I think that's, that's okay. Right. Okay. When we come back, uh, I'm going to ask about compulsory vaccination. All right. But right now we continue with 1FM 91.3's Greatest Hits of All Time Countdown. Song 275 is by Vanessa Williams. Here's Colours of the Wind on 1FM 91.3. All right. Back. Go ahead, everybody. So, Doctor, if, if we have these weak links, the hawker centres, the coffee shops, the malls, the nursing homes, why is it that the government hasn't, didn't, 
isn't going to make vaccination compulsory. Is it a human rights issue? What is it? Yeah, this is something that uh, I would share similar sentiments with you because a lot of us also felt the same way, especially long before this as well. There, there are a couple of things. One of the problems, I think, from the government's perspective is that the endorsement or the approval of the vaccine that came under the Health Science Authority is under a provisional approval. Uh, under such a provision, you cannot mandate the vaccine. So this is kind of like the semantics or the definitions of it. So that's one. The second thing is that um, I think it's to do with the tripartite guidelines that actually explicitly stated that for um, employment, you cannot discriminate based on vaccination. So mm -hmm. I think that a broad vaccine uh, mandate across various sectors in the community will require a heck of a lot of engagement changes in, in many of these um, guidelines. And so I think that's kind of where it is with the government's perspective. But at least as of now, and, and you know, when we were looking at it several months ago, the numbers of vaccinees uh, were not as many as we have right now. Mm. I think numbers are, what, are we close to 83% now? or Something like that, yeah. yeah. Mm. So that's actually pretty um, much better than, you know, whatever we were some. So we are getting that. Okay. So, um, I mean, speaking of malls and being vaccinated or unvaccinated, is uh, the act of banning the unvaccinated from the malls and the hawker centres and dining, uh, even at the coffee shops and stuff, really, really necessary? I mean, I will speak from a personal perspective because my parents are unvaccinated and they're close to 80. They're afraid of the side effects. Oh, you know, I do. I know, I've, I've tried, I've tried. Oh, you know, I beg, beseech and implore your parents. <laughs> I, I, I will grovel at their feet. <laughs> mm. I, you know, because I'm sorry, it may sound a little dramatic, but mm. it is rather like a death wish, mm. you know, for the elderly to not get vaccinated, any kind of vaccine right now, because that's kind of where the, I think the, the issue is about banning people from malls and mm. hawker centres because if you're unvaccinated, you got to cocoon yourself. You have mm. to, with the numbers of cases, and Delta variant is completely unforgiving. You know, the viral load, the amount of the virus that is expressed in the mucosa and which can transmit by way of just normal speech or someone in the elevator talking loud. And this is, you know, going to transmit. And the old uh, individuals, they are like sitting ducks, you know. Mm. So why would they want, it's not as if their rights are being uh, held, they, they, they are being protected, you know. So unfortunately, they chose that for themselves. So that's going to kind of eat into their freedom. But mm. they, they have the freedom to choose as well, you know. That is true, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and we have the freedom to protect them. And mm. we can't ex want them to consume healthcare resources because elderly individuals, I mean, you know, are they very elderly? Because you look terribly young. <laughs> um, they're, they're turning 80 next year. Okay, so high risk. Mm. So really, we can't afford for individuals who are not vaccinated, especially elderly, because that's what we, we, we see. They will consume, uh, you know, healthcare resources. Oxygen supplementation would seem like a bonus. What we don't want them to get into is intensive care unit. I, I'm sorry for sounding so... No, no, no. That's, I mean, uh, you're, yeah, you're entitled to that uh, yeah. medical opinion of yours, yeah. You know, the, the numbers of people who get vaccinated as opposed to people who are not, when you mm. compare it in the statistics by way of requiring oxygen and or any kind of ICU, it's a tenfold higher leap, you know, for people who are unvaccinated or partially. 
so the numbers and these are our local you know statistics so it the, the statistics don't lie hmm. yeah so I, I yeah i think that many families uh you know who are in that that situation right now mm. where family members are somehow just afraid of the side effects you know yeah. although they're looking yeah. around all their friends family members have been vaccinated but somehow deep down inside they're 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 thinking like you know i might be the odd one to come down with uh, really severe side effects i mean mm. i'll yeah. be honest as well my my brother just got his first shot uh, a couple of days ago You know, Only and, because uh, of the announcements, right? I I don't know. I think it's been playing on his mind for a while, but mm-hmm. he's also been terrified, um, you know, of the side effects because sometimes you know he reads the papers and some people you know get heart inflammation and 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 stuff like that. So so it kind of like was playing on his mind. But uh, I got a call from him the other day to say, look, you know, I've decided to go for the vaccination, and and the whole family is just you know so happy yeah. because he was mm-hmm. the last person you see, and he's uh for he he is forty seven years. Years old, but yeah, good, good, good for him. Awesome. Yeah, and I called him yesterday. He said, "You know what? I'm so glad I went for it." I'm like, "You see, not feeling anything." You, you, you could have mm-hmm. gone down for it yeah, much earlier. earlier, but he says he's very, very happy that he's uh, gone down for it. So I hope uh, mm-hmm. people who are afraid, like him, and like maybe Angel's I parents, will take that okay. that step. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. there's one thing is the mental fortitude because I mean it's played up by a lot of irresponsible messaging on social media. Mm. And 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 various other media outlets, anti-vax campaigners, and so many of these things are trolling the net. And I think you're aware of that. Mm. So you know, when when people have an agenda and they they themselves are anti-vaxxers, they should not you know put their ideas across to other people because you're hijacking their health. You know, mm. everyone should just look at how it has played out since the vaccines were introduced last December until now. It's not been a year, but look, we, we we've engaged a lot of data. Unlike any other vaccines in history, and we we know what how things are. It's not that bad, you know. A lot of things are in the mind, so that's one thing. The mental fortitude, just get over it, because the science is actually quite clear. It is a very safe vaccine, yeah. and you know, the more the the positive message gets out there, the better. And the other thing is to weigh in the benefits over any kind of perceived risks, because when you have so much of transmission going on, and you know the issue of course with the vaccine is that we we can't really prevent transmission like how the measles vaccine can prevent transmission which is why it is a compulsory vaccine mm. because it can prevent transmission but here you know for the vaccine what it does is that it tells the soldiers in the body your immune system to kind of go to sleep and wake up when there is trouble but when the enemy is at the gates and you tell the you know soldiers to wake up it takes about four to five days and the enemy is already at the gates at that time because yeah. that's about the incubation period of delta mm. right now mm. so that's when people who are vaccinated end up getting a bit of respiratory symptoms and mild risk you know Or, or some things like this and people think oh why am i getting vaccinated people are falling sick anyway but mm. in reality Um, it doesn't play out into the more severe illness because the immune system, once it's rejuvenated or not rejuvenated, but woken up, shall we say, then you know it prevents complications, which is what we really want. So we don't have a perfect vaccine out there, but at least we have one that can prevent, you know, uh, to a large extent severity. So this is what people need to understand about the vaccine. Right, doctor. You know, having said that, having you you having said that. Uh, the U.S., Europe, so many other countries are already opening up. 
knowing all these facts. They're, they're opening up. And yet Singapore is still struggling. We're only just beginning to open up to certain countries. Uh, is this because we're overcautious? Is this what we should be doing? We are trying to open our borders. But, you know, unlike last time, uh, several months ago, was it almost a year plus ago, we, 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 our numbers or our risk was coming from uh, abroad. You know, so now it's a different story. The epidemiology is not like that. The, the numbers, visitors bringing COVID to us is actually um, incredibly low. So we, we don't see a signal in that regard that, you know, so I think we can try to open up more and we have to be careful and, and quite measured in the way we are doing this. We also have a global uh, organization that monitors for all these unusual strains and highly transmissible ones and of course, from a global platform, we get insight and information whether or not we should be looking out for certain parts of the world. You know, we don't want another another strain to come in and waltz in, you know, with, with lots of invitation. And then we have another problem after that. Mm-hmm. But we have to kind of look at all these things as we kind of measure up our, you know, our sectors, our economy, our uh, tourism sectors. And so I think it's OK. But suddenly they have reported quite a number of uh, VTLs. Yeah. You know, so that's important, I think. And also it kind of gets people to want to get vaccinated as well, to want Mm. to meet up for that. I think I saw reports in that regard. Right. Now, Dr. Ashok, I mean, if we are stressing on vaccination here in Singapore, uh, now, I mean, starting next week, I think uh, we're not allowing people to go into malls and all that. Mm. Um, If we are stressing on vaccination, shouldn't we be barring the unvaccinated from, from entering our country as well? I, I, I can't tell you the exact numbers who are unvaccinated, but I think that as the signal of people who are actually coming in uh, from abroad, bringing in COVID is actually markedly less than it was ever before. So that's number one. Number two, I do believe a large number of uh, tourists, visitors, etc., they are actually vaccinated because for their insurance policies, and they do need to get that kind of support uh, to be able to come into the country because if they were to get COVID or to get something who is going to cover them, you know, you know, from mm. a financial perspective. So I think it is actually in the interest of a lot of the individuals to get themselves vaccinated one way or the other. Right. Okay. okay. We're going to back, go back on, uh, on, on the radio. Uh, stand by. In three, two. Song 274 on the countdown. That's... UB40 with Red Red Wine. You tuned in to The Big Show and The Big Show TV with Glenn Angel, FD and Sean. And our special guest for this morning is infectious disease doctor and specialist, Dr. Ashok Karup. Um, all right. Uh, once again, welcome, Dr. Ashok. Yeah, thank you. So I've got a question for you, doctor. Um, with the booster shots currently uh, already started, and, and uh, the question would be, are you able to take a Pfizer shot if you did your first two as Moderna or an mRNA shot if you did your first two as non-mRNA shots and vice versa. I think a lot of people are asking this because the booster shots have started uh, uh, coming, uh, being offered to everyone. So what are, what are your thoughts or what is what is the factual uh, facts on that? Yeah, so thanks Angel for that question. So first, taking a step back. So the idea about boosting is actually based on the fact that the immune immunity post-vaccination starts to wane. And if it wanes, but, you know, in a measurable, because the commercial tests that we do for antibodies, they are not kind of like, 
license to be able to tell us, are you, are you not protected? To be honest, we don't know the correlates of protection and people cannot say that I would like a blood test to know whether I'm protected or not because nobody knows what that level is. But it translates on studies to show that when people have a certain level of immunity that's waning among certain risk groups, then that's actually going to put them and make them vulnerable to infections, you know. So that uh, just vulnerable means that they get really sick. So, you know, elderly and all this immunocompromised. So you, the data that has been published to date has mostly been with the mRNA platforms. So mRNA, mRNA followed by mRNA, mostly in the context of Pfizer. Mm-hmm. So we also have data that's come out from other parts of the world with regards to AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca followed by Pfizer, uh, and also Pfizer, Pfizer followed by AstraZeneca. So mm-hmm. we don't have enough information with regards to other kinds of modalities, like, for example, mRNA followed by the Sinovac or Sinopharm. Mm-hmm. I mean, intuitively, you would think that heterologous boosting by this is the name we give for this kind of mixing of platforms would encourage the immune system to better itself. And I think it is something that we are looking into because there are a lot of studies underway right now. So we have this same talk a few months down the road, we might look at it differently. Mm. But based on the published science for now, I can tell you that AstraZeneca followed by Pfizer is looking really good. But we don't have AstraZeneca here. But mm. mind you, Pfizer followed by AstraZeneca is not the same. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Dynamics is kind of interesting, right? Mm. So where we have published data would be mRNA, mRNA and mRNA, principally with Pfizer, Pfizer, Pfizer. The data were Moderna and then for J&J is also still coming. So mm. you, um, intuitively, you can actually mix the, within the mRNA because the platform is the same. Mm. So based on the published science, you're just extrapolating a little bit. So it doesn't matter whether you choose uh, Moderna. So if you want Moderna, Moderna, Pfizer, 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 Moderna, it really doesn't matter. Okay, okay. okay. All right. so, so here's a question, doctor. I'm 65. I've already been uh, given a, an SMS saying I should get my booster shot. When we come back, I want to explain why I haven't got it yet and get your reaction. No, it's that. okay, FD. Ask the question okay. right now. Okay, so um, when, when, when I got my first uh, uh, SMS to get uh, my booster shot, I was nowhere near the six-month limit. And we've all heard you should get your booster shots between six to nine months. So I've said, no, I'm waiting for my six months. Um, and that should be early November correct thing to do or not because you said it begins to wane so yeah, should i be getting that booster now even though i haven't reached it six months yeah you can because you know the six months is not etched in stone it's not uh you know so we we do know that the waning of the immunity starts after about four five six months you know and then it goes further down after that to nine months so People in the category of uh, risk groups, okay, let's say people who have immune system compromised, multiple other medical problems, elderly, etc. The signal is becoming higher and higher for you as you go down the four, five, six months. So it's not like it has to be six months and that that is a defined uh, limit. There's no, we're just putting it out there. And I think that even if it is a few weeks before, etc., it doesn't matter. So if you've gotten reminders in that way, I don't know that you need so many reminders, but it's just kind of telling you that, hey, uh, Mr. FD, your immunity is starting to wane. Time to think about the vaccine. Get yourself, uh, you know, that you can decide when you want it, but it's around now. That's what it's trying to tell you. What I'm trying to say is we shouldn't be dogmatic about the six-month timeline. Okay, so 
so we're, we're getting a booster some some right sometime between four to six months. Yeah. Um, is this going to be a way of life? Are we going to get boosters every six months? Is, is that uh, what we're saying? All right, hold that thought, Dr. Ashok. Hold that thought. FD, I only allowed you one question. Oh, <laughs> God. I thought I could squeeze Don't one Don't get carried in. away. That's Up next, uh, we continue with the 1FM 91.3 Greatest Hits of All Time Countdown. Song 272 is by Chris DeBerg, Lady in Red. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I, I, I don't listen to that music. How come I can't hear it? <laughs> because we're still talking to you we're, now. We're, we're continuously live. Don't on listen to music. Talk so. to us. <laughs> so, so, Dr. Ashok, we were saying that that the waning starts somewhere around four months, five months, six months, and this is why some people are getting their their reminders to get their boosters yeah. earlier than six months. Yeah. Um, as I have done. Now, does this mean that? I'm going to be taking boosters every six months? So so this is a good question because, you know, to be honest, we don't know the science of this. And and we, we of course, we have the corollary of uh, the influenza vaccine where you know that that is kind of like a every year thing. Mm. But we, we are hoping that it's not going to play out in this way because we are using a different platform with mostly our, our people here using the mRNA-based platform because... It also instigates a part of the immune system that we call the T cells. And this is kind of where um, there is that other, it's not a hidden part of your immune system, but it's something that it's not really able, we can't really measure it commercially. And that actually is something that's going to help you prevent uh, serious illness and probably it's going to take you further. So at the moment, based on the current science, I don't really think that you're going to have to have boosters every few months. I don't okay. think so. Yeah. Mm. Um, I have a question, just going back a little bit to uh, the unvaccinated. Um, from the latest report, 85% have received at least their first dose, with 83% being double-dosed already. So for the remaining uh, average of about 15% of those that have not got their uh, vaccination for whatever reason, it could be health, it could be the anti-vaxxers, or it could be that they're just scared of the uh, side effects, how many have... I mean, how how many do you how many so far from the vaccinated have come down with serious side effects? From from from, from the, the vaccinated. From the vaccine, very Va- few. Very few. Very very few. You know. Mm. So I I think I had the charts and I forget the actual number, mm. but I can tell you with absolute conviction that it is incredibly low. Mm. This you is know? just for I mean just for those that are unvaccinated who are afraid. Yeah, you know, you know, going back in time, I think around the January, February period, there were a lot of concerns as well about people who were having allergies to other um, mm. other compounds and, you know, insect bites. And a lot of these were preclusions at that time, not because of any science in that regard. It was just a kiasu kiasi thing. And mm. when we got the information locally as well as from abroad that it wasn't really a preclusion, of course, then... This was actually disengaged from a from a contraindication. But, you know, in the mindset of people, when it was, you know, streamlined, social media, newspaper, everything that, hey, you know, you got this kind of allergic reaction, don't get the vaccine, you know, it's got into the subconsciousness of some people. Mm-hmm. And now when you try to tell them that it's safe, you're going to have to go up the hill with them because it's go not through that. that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I have personal experiences with many of these patients myself. And we, we've got to go through with them, you know, step by step along the way, multiple emails, phone calls, face-to-face visits. And eventually when they get it and nothing happens to them and they're so happy, 
Mm. You know, it, it, it is this kind of a, a bit of a learning curve. Not everyone is ready to jump the board and, you know, because humans, you know what, we are all made up of different stuff, right? Yeah. So not all of us are going to jump onto the bandwagon and say whatever. I mean, this is how humans are. You know, we are different. So it's okay. And if you want to take that additional step with a bit of time, we can help you. Uh, you know, it's that's the problem because time. <laughs> mm. We have so much of, you know, urgency about it. There's also this thing. We don't have the latitude of time that we used to have before. Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, Dr. Ashok, I'm going to make you feel, uh, you know, a little shy again. Uh, hmm. But I'm going to say this once again, you know, we have the world's best <laughs> infectious disease doctor and specialist right now. I'm getting like text messages, you know, going like, oh, yeah. we are enjoying this session so much uh, with uh, Dr. Ashok. His explanation is so clear. So thank you very much uh, once again thank for you, joining man. us. Have you, have you been compliant with your morning meds? <laughs> but I think I've got a very important question, okay? Um, why are people still super conscious and cautious about the mRNA vaccines? You know, there is the perception because the fact that the platform is new and the newness of it is actually, it should be put in perspective because when the platform was studied, it was studied even before uh, uh, covid it was studied in the context of HIV and Ebola, and that is how we managed to springboard it because of the previous experiences. So it is not entirely new, and, and also in the way that all the vaccines were you know, approved for COVID-19 and the phases in which they were trying to develop them in a rapid way, safety was not compromised. It's just that things were accelerated by way of approvals in terms of phases. Mm. So people don't understand the nuances of these things and that they think it's been kind of, um, you know, completely rushed and that safety was compromised, a new vaccine platform. And unfortunately, a lot of people who have their own agendas ride on this wave and make it into a big deal, a statement, political or otherwise. Look at how America is divided amongst the blue and the red. Mm. Mm. The colours, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So, you know, this is kind of how it is. It shouldn't be, science should be the one driving the show, not any kind of political oh, thing. Mm. So, so this mRNA thing should, unfortunately, should dissociate itself from this so-called, you know, uh, it's a rush vaccine, it's a new vaccine, we don't know enough. I mean, we know already quite a lot of things about it, even before COVID-19 came about. So I think we have to move past that, you know. Uh, we have to get to where we are right now. That so was yeah th yeah S sorry that was my uh, kind of fear at the beginning as well because I was one of the later ones who got the vaccine because I was afraid because it was such a new drug but yeah. um, going away from that topic uh, jumping onto the topic of masks I think everybody's just about done with masks nobody that I've met likes wearing a mask so when it comes to the topic of ma uh, masks first things will we be wearing them for the rest of our lives secondly from the mouth of an expert, what is the best kind of mask to wear? It's, I, I sure hope that we are not going to have to wear masks forever and ever. <laughs> number one. Number two, in the near future, uh, I do hope that outdoors we will be able to do without the mask because a lot of the transmission dynamics of COVID-19 has played out in the context of uh, indoors, especially when it's poorly ventilated and so it's not quite a dichotomous uh, transmission by way of droplets or airborne. It's actually 
you know, there, there is a lot of a gray zone. It really depends on the ventilation, how closed it is and how crowded it is. So many of these things, what people are doing, whether they're scr screaming, shouting, karaoke, and you know, I think you know mm -hmm. that these dynamics play out in the context of risk of transmission. So in those kinds of situations, you should have your masks on. And you should have a good three-ply mask, so a surgical mask or something equivalent to that should be what you should be doing in the context of an elevator in the hospital, for mm. example, when you have to visit someone and or in the um, um, maybe in some other places where it's a more closed area where you have a meeting, you know. So, but if you are open outdoors, you're in the botanics and you're, you're walking your dog or something, I think that's kind of where you can be a bit more. But of course, now we have mandates. But mm. I do hope that in the future, we don't have to wear masks in that regard. Mm. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But of course, outdoors can be different in different settings. It can be more closer. People are having fun at the beach and a lot of people are together. So that's going to be a bit more difficult trying to weigh in on no masks outdoors. Mm. Yeah. Mm -mm. Okay. okay. I think we'll end uh, the interview with one question from uh, our 1FM uh, listeners. Uh, this is by Sui Mei Ki, who says, uh, Hi. Um, good morning, doctor. I have a question about the booster shot. My second jab was on the 3rd of May. Should I have the booster jab on or after the 2nd of November? I had the Pfizer vaccine in the past, but now the nearest vaccination centre offers Moderna. Should I stick to Pfizer or go for Moderna? My body is okay with Pfizer and I'm afraid that my body will react differently to Moderna. Is it true that a combination of vaccines is more effective against COVID-19? I'm sorry, there are three questions yeah, okay, there. Okay, we do on air. Stand by. <laughs> oh, hold on. No doubt with uh, Don't Speak, song 271 right here on 1FM 91.3's greatest hits of all time countdown. We are with Dr. Ashok Karup, infectious disease doctor and specialist at Mount Elizabeth Medical Centre. Uh, we're going to end the session with Dr. Karup right now with a question from Sui Mei Ki. And uh, they are like three questions uh, uh, <laughs> in, in, one. In, in one, you know. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to read out her question anyway, okay? Uh, good morning, Dr. Karup. Uh, my question is about the booster shot. My second jab was on the 3rd of May. Should I have the booster jab on or after the 2nd of November? I also had the Pfizer vaccine in the past, but now the nearest vaccination centre offers Moderna. Should I stick to Pfizer or go for Moderna? So, yeah, good morning, uh, Ms. Sui, and thank you for your question. Um, it, you know, they, yeah, ex, you know, we don't have to be totally so dogmatic about that six month thing. If you are in a risk category, so if you are above the age of 60, 65, and you have other kinds of medical conditions or immunocompromised states or any other things that are debilitating you one way or the other, I would say don't uh, hesitate because we have a lot of transmission happening outside. And I'll say this again, Delta is unforgiving. So that's kind of where you kind of you can actually have the latitude of going a little bit earlier for your vaccine shot and you don't have to be totally dogmatic about the the November period that that has been you know so we are not looking after dates and a specific thing this is all artificial because the way the immunity plays out is very dynamic in your system but if you're very very healthy you're quite young and you know you don't have a lot of medical problems you do have a lot of latitude to wait we can wait a bit longer so I think that so that's kind of different to where you belong in, in the context of risk factors. And whether you choose Moderna or whether you choose Pfizer, it really doesn't matter. If the nearest to you is Moderna, 
be aware also that Moderna sometimes can cause a little bit of local reactions. And some people are aware of this, some people are not. If, uh, you know, you might get a little bit more aches and pains and bodily, you know, aches is quite common. Fevers can come for one or two days. So that's not unusual. So don't get alarmed. That might be something that you might experience with Moderna. Now, intuitively speaking, it makes some sense to think about, yeah, a novelty. But remember, it's the same uh, platform. It's also an mRNA. So we don't have data to tell you that, oh, you take the Moderna, it's actually going to be superior to you. No, we don't have that. So you're free to choose, you know, so yeah. you can go with the Moderna. It doesn't matter. But I feel superior, Dr. <laughs> I'm team Moderna. <laughs> Me too. Team Pfizer. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Ashok Karap, for joining us this morning. Thank it's you. been such a pleasure. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Therapeutic itself, you know, being a radio. (laughs) (laughs) With my fan club, all of you. (laughs) (laughs) We want to have you on the show more often. So, you know, we'll we'll be in touch once again. You take care of yourself and stay safe, Doctor. Angel, please tell your parents. (laughs) Get shot. Yeah. Get, <laughs> Get Dr. Karup to give your parents a call. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, you take care and have a wonderful day. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. We've been speaking to Dr. Ashok Karup, infectious disease doctor and specialist. Uh, we are going to move on to our next two guests um, th- for this morning. Uh, I'm just going to introduce them very, very quickly, and then uh, we're going to move on to our next song on 1FM 91.3's Greatest Hits of All Time Countdown. Uh, we welcome uh, Ms. Ko Huan Jing, Director of Community Ama- Enablement at Dementia Singapore, and also Ms. Si Yen Thing, Deputy Chief, Caregiving and Health Division. So once again, ladies, welcome to the show. Welcome to the big show. Uh, We'll talk to you more on the big show TV. But right now, here's song 270 on the countdown. It's Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Good morning. All right. Thank you, ladies, for being on the show. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, I'll just jump into the uh, straight into uh, the first question. So we're going from vaccines to now dementia. And uh, for dementia, you guys recently launched DementiaHub.sg, which is a one-stop dementia resource portal in collaboration with AIC, which is Agency for Integrated Care. Can you tell us a little bit more about DementiaHub.sg, please? Yeah, so uh, DementiaHub.sg is a one-stop resource portal for anyone that wants to know about dementia. Uh, We have uh, designed it to be dementia-inclusive by consulting persons with dementia as well as their caregivers and created it such that uh, different users, such as if you're a member of the community or if you're a person living with dementia or family carer or even a professional carer, can access information that's relevant to you. Okay, great. So what was it like uh, building this portal? I mean, you built it from scratch. It must have been quite a job just curating the resources you needed for this portal. Uh, Yes, the work actually started almost three years ago when the management decided that there should be a one-stop portal for uh, dementia knowledge sharing. Um, And um, we started the work about two and a half years ago, whereby we were curating information from all different sources from all over the world. And we also looked internally, uh, especially to uh, the Agency for Integrated Care that was also busy developing resources for uh, people with dementia as well as their caregivers. So that was really quite a lot of work. 
Wow. So maybe adding on to what Huang Jing mentioned, because we know that the prevalence of dementia is indeed increasing. So one in 10 seniors above 60s have dementia. And in Singapore right now, there's about 86,000 persons living with dementia and the caregivers. And this is the reason why AIC uh, felt that it was very important to partner, a close partner like uh, Dementia Singapore to uh, co-develop this dementia hub. I think uh, we have also been hearing uh, feedback on the ground that uh, where do I go? Because there are a lot of pockets and sources of information out there. So how can I go? Where do I know whether the information is credible and updated? And that's why how Dementia Hub Singapore actually was developed. I'm actually on the website now and I just have to say it is a very, uh, very easy website to navigate because you've sort of... Um, divided into four segments uh, that somebody going in can immediately click on uh, for based on their needs. So you have a member of community or corporation, persons living with dementia, persons caring for dementia, or healthcare professionals. That, that uh, So it's, it's, it's a nice, easy, uh, and user-friendly website, which is, which is fantastic. So congratulations on, on making it easy to use and easy to navigate. Thank you. So based on your experiences, uh, what kind of resources do you think uh, caregivers and family members need the most and are looking for the most? Um, I think based on our experience working with caregivers, uh, what we found is really important at the start, at the point of diagnosis for caregivers to know about the nature of dementia, uh, knowing about you know uh, what are some expected signs and symptoms of dementia, what might be some behaviour changes they might expect you know, of the person. And through that, learning about how to communicate uh, with the person, how to understand uh, behavior changes and apply strategies to support the person to continue living a good quality of life, uh, engaging in meaningful activities. Well, working with people with uh, dementia, what were some of the, the misconceptions and, and some of the misinformation you came about, uh, you, came, you came to know when you were building this, this site? I think, first of all, a lot of people will think that dementia is part and parcel of normal aging, which we know that's not the case. Um, and uh, a lot of people will think that when uh, the, the only signs and symptoms of dementia is when I lose my memory, right? Mm. And we know that different people, there, there, besides Alzheimer's uh, disease, there are other forms of dementia, and they present with different signs and symptoms. And we have people who might not have memory loss, but they have challenges finding the right word to communicate, or they suddenly find that they are uh, things that they used to do, for example, cooking a meal mm. for the family whereby they need to do plan the menu, go marketing and all those becomes something very challenging to them. So I think these are some of the uh, myths and uh, the misperception that people have. And through this uh, one-stop hub, we hope to be able to equip uh, the community and um, to be able to be more aware of these signs and symptoms so they can seek help early. Mm. Okay. So obviously you've just you've just launched uh, dementiahub.sg. What uh, do you envision it to become, and what kind of things will you be offering in the future? Um, we will continue to enhance the portal because uh, there's just so much information that uh, we want to share. Uh, we've only just been through a uh, phase one, so you'll see enhancements to. Um, 
the uh, resources uh, related to um, understanding behaviour changes, especially for care professionals. So we've done quite a lot for family carers. And the next step is really to beef up the resources for care professionals, especially for those working in daycare centres and nursing homes, to help uh, care professionals understand you know, um, the different behaviours that present uh, in their services and the strategies to, to uh, support uh, persons with dementia. Okay. Uh, we're also looking into... Go on. Sorry. Uh, maybe adding to Huang Jing's point is that we also recognize that there's other segments of people that we really want to outreach to. For example, we are beginning to see the general community to want to come uh, forth, right, and offer a helping hand, but they don't know what to do. So I think this is also another key target audience that we wanted to reach out to so that together we can build an inclusive environment for a person living with dementia and caregivers to continue really staying safely as well as enjoying the activities they uh, used to do in the neighbourhood they're familiar with. The second target is really businesses. I think Wang uh, uh, and myself also have encounters with businesses who are uh, coming forth because they recognise that uh, increased prevalence, what can I do for my own customers who may have dementia or may have mentioned the future. So we have banks, um, transport operators who then say that I want to train my staff to be uh, knowing how to communicate uh, with persons living with dementia so that when they come forth in my doorsteps, I know 